church. I don't know if you thought this morning when you woke up, what day is it, Sunday? Oh yeah, I go to church. I wonder if you thought, I am church, we are church. Oh, there's your self-colour coordinated. Enough now. <laughs> we are church. We're direct descendants of the church that was born in Jerusalem, that city that is still a vibrant city, 2,000 years ago. And the fact that we are here following the same Lord with the same scriptures is part of strong evidence of the resurrection of Jesus. You know, it's kind of, we know all this. But sometimes you've just got to let this sort of thing sink into our thinking, haven't we, really? It's amazing. Here we are. If you were here last week, you would have heard Paula speak about how Peter, who just a few weeks before Pentecost had used swear words as he denied Jesus in a cowardly way, and all the others ran away as well, he was now transformed transformed because he had seen the risen Jesus. He'd been forgiven by Jesus and commissioned by him to announce the truth of the resurrection and to be part of establishing the church. It was this massive transformation and he's boldly declaring that Jesus is Messiah The fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies, which his original hearers would have been really familiar with. And he's declaring that Jesus is alive and that he is now at God's right hand. And Peter is doing all of this in Jerusalem, in public, and the crowds are gathering Peter, as Paula spoke about last week, has laid out the whole of God's story in a nutshell, which he demonstrates in his preaching, culminated in Jesus. And he's just reaching the climax of his sermon. Our passage today begins with, so. So means as a result of all this, In the light of all I've told you, and I'm just going to read the first verse, because um, Peter really goes for it. And it's chapter 2 of Acts, verse 36. So, let everyone in Israel know for certain that God made this Jesus, whom you crucified... To be both Lord and Messiah. You can almost hear the sharp intake of breath, the open eyes, the jerks, the gasps. Like, whoa. You know, the death of Jesus and all that had led up to it was very recent news for those original hearers. Many of them had personally witnessed some of the things that had gone on, or at least they'd heard about it. It had been the talk of the town. Peter's words 
are putting that whole event and all that everybody had heard and thought into a new and staggering light. Do you mind if I just put this up and go there? No doubt there, are, uh, there were all kinds of responses in that crowd, in their hearts and minds, those people listening. Maybe some of them were angry at Peter's words. Maybe disbelief. Terror. Incomprehension. What, what's he on about? I can't get my head around this. What's he saying? Cynicism. Thoughtfulness. But the people in the crowd that Luke, the writer of Acts, tells us about are the ones who are convinced about the truth of Peter's words. I'm going to read the whole passage from verse 36 to 41. So, in the light of all I've told you, let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. Peter's words pierced their hearts. And they said to him and the other apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, each of you must repent of your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Then you will receive the Holy Spirit. This promise is to you and your children and even to the Gentiles, all who have been called by the Lord our God. Then Peter continued preaching For a long time, strongly urging all his listeners, save yourself from this crooked generation. And those who believed what Peter said were baptized and added to the church that day about 3,000 in all. You know, some people in that crowd realised that this wasn't just something dramatic to listen to and to discuss over coffee later. They were cut to the heart. It really affected them so that they knew this is a life-changing moment for me. It was an intensely personal experience as individuals in the crowd some of them suddenly saw things in a whole new light they suddenly understood something that hadn't made sense before their eyes were opened their whole perspective had changed and they were pierced to the heart that's a graphic image isn't it If your heart is pierced, you're done for. It's a strong physical feeling. You can imagine their thoughts. Maybe they're sort of saying to each other, how did I get it so wrong? How could I have been so blind, so so stupid, so out of kilter? How could I have been taken in by the things our leaders said? How 
How could I have done such a dreadful thing? How can God ever forgive me? How can I possibly move forward from here? You know, when, I, when I'm preparing and I'm reading these kind of things, I love to put myself into the, into the place. I get in there. I'm there. What, what does that feel like? And I try to imagine. And I try to relate in some ways to that feeling. And I think that, that notion, that light bulb moment, it, it is a human experience, isn't it? Which we probably all experience in different measures from time to time. And it was interesting what came to my mind. It was a much less significant experience than this, of course. But this is what I thought about. Um, when I thought, how did I get this so wrong? Um, I, I was very young and impressionable mum. And I was dropping Susanna, Susanna off at school, at her infant school, at David and Peter in the car, just a bit younger. And this morning I was doing later in the day for some reason. She was going in later. And so the whole coast was clear. It was quiet outside the school. And without hardly thinking about it, really, but actually, to be honest, feeling a little bit smug, I copied the behaviour of some of the more confident and wealthy mums who I had noticed and honestly secretly admired who parked their Range Rovers right upon the pavement immediately outside the school gates, allowing them to dash in with their children and make a quick getaway. Now, you know, this was the early 80s. Health and safety wasn't quite such a thing as it is today. So here I come. The coast is clear and a little bit smug. I, I, I park my car, bang on the pavement right outside the, um, the gates, and I ran in with Suzanne. When I came out, there was a traffic warden with a notepad. It was the 80s, remember, and a pen. You did that in those days. Our eyes met. And uh, he looked at my car, and I looked at my car, and suddenly it didn't seem such an admirable and cool thing as it had when I'd, done, when I'd parked up. Suddenly it seemed a stupid thing to have done. This is a stupid place to leave a car, he said. <laughs> I said, absolutely, I, I'm so sorry. I, I, I'm so very, very sorry, and I promise I will never do it again. Oh, there was grace for me that day, somehow, and he relented. But you see what happened? I suddenly saw my action in a completely different perspective. What I had thought was cool turned out to be reckless. I suddenly saw very clearly, when I looked through the traffic warden's eyes... And I did feel really silly and sorry. Well, of course, in a much, much more profound way. It's that sort of experience that happened to 3,000 people as they listened to Peter. It dawned on them with absolute clarity that they'd been seeing things in an utterly warped way. They'd been blind to the truth, blind to the fact that God was working out his purposes for redemption of the world. And he'd been crucified. But God was doing that in their time and in their place. And for 3,000 of them, it was an almighty revelation, literally, 
The Holy Spirit was working in power, enabling them to see at last what was always there in their own scriptures and in the person of Jesus Christ walking this earth. It now clicked into place in vivid clarity. You know, they hadn't set out that morning looking for a life-changing experience. <clears throat> it was festival time in Jerusalem, so maybe they were out and about wondering, seeing if there was anything going on. But they weren't expecting to be confronted with such a serious accusation. This Jesus, whom you crucified. They hadn't expected to be called upon to take a life-changing decision and make that kind of life-changing action. But here they were, pierced to the heart and totally ready to do something about it. But what? What can we possibly do when we've been implicated in crucifying our Lord and Messiah? How can there possibly be a path forward from this place. Amazingly, there is, precisely because Jesus was crucified and rose again. There is now a way forward. Grace abundant, complete forgiveness for everything, for everyone. This was properly mind-blowing. No doubt, you know, they didn't understand the theology of it all. They couldn't have written a book on the theology of the cross. But they got the main thing. <coughs> you know, it's a very wonderful thing that the very first time someone, it was Peter, stood up in public to tell people about Jesus, he made it very clear. This message is for everyone everywhere and it's forgiveness for everything in verse 14 of this passage when Peter first stepped forward he said listen carefully all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem it's all of you and in the passage that we've read verse 39 this promise the promise of forgiveness for your sins is to you and your children and even to the Gentiles. Now, Peter, I don't think, he certainly didn't understand quite the implications of what he was saying there. And it took quite a journey for him to accept what it meant for it to be for the Gentiles too. But this is what he was declaring right from the, from the beginning. So what do they do, the people in the crowd whose hearts are pierced? Peter and you other apostles, what should we do? What can we possibly do? And Peter's reply is simple. Ret repent. Repent is turn right around and start going in the exact opposite direction to the one in which you have been going. Change your focus completely. Be sorry for your wrongdoing and your wrong thinking. Turn to Jesus, who through his death and resurrection has established a rescue operation. 
receive that rescue and get to safety. Allow Jesus to grasp hold of you and give you that new energy to go the right way. Repent and be baptised. In other words, join the worshipping community. Share in its life and be part of bringing in God's kingdom. Now, all through his ministry on earth, Jesus had been declaring to the Jews, to Israel, amongst whom he was living and working, that they were running headlong into ruin. They were not caring for the poor. They were acting unjustly. They were embracing violence. They were highly prejudiced. They were not listening to God. They were not reading their scriptures with open minds. But at the cross, Jesus takes Israel's and the whole world's identity on himself. And he allows himself to take the judgment It's as if Jesus stands in the way and stops us all hurtling towards destruction. I was reading about this this week and there was this picture of, can you imagine that you're on a a toboggan perhaps, going down a a slope of snow and, and you're going the wrong way, you're heading for a cliff edge. And there's actually nothing you can do about it. You need somebody to rescue you. And if there is somebody standing in some way with their really strongly like this, with something to stop you in your tracks before you get to the edge, the only way to stop yourself going over is to steer towards that person and allow them to stop you. We need to steer towards Jesus because he's there, stopping us going over. When we have open hearts to God, through the working of the Holy Spirit, this same message translates easily to everyone, in every society, and in every moment of time. That's just incredible. The promise is for everyone you know we are turn back and be rescued people we're repent and be baptized people repenting is personal and individual but joining the worshiping community is not we don't have to do the journey alone each one of the three thousand that day individually had to repent turn right around but then they joined they joined together and the church was born 3000 was not a bad start made up of individuals whose hearts had been pierced by the contrast between their personal sin and the sacrificial love of God in Jesus their hearts had been one by the love as the Holy Spirit worked in them. And here we are today, 2,000 years later. We're part of the everyone, everywhere, at all time that Peter was speaking about. And we're just like the Jews in the crowd at Pentecost. To be church, 
We need to be cut to the heart as we confess our sinfulness and accept that Jesus has taken the hit for what we've done. We need to repent and join the worshipping community and be part of God's work. And I think there's another way in which I feel that God wants to speak into our lives today that for me arises from this amazing account. You know, we've all got things wrong. We've had warped perspectives about all kinds of things. We've hurtled in wrong directions at times in our lives. Sometimes I hear people say, and I thought some of these things myself, they say things like, There are things that I've done in my past, decisions I've made, paths I took that have led to my life being irretrievably wrecked. Or they say, or we say, how did I get here? I look back when I was younger and I I could never have imagined that I would end up in such a mess. I'm not this sort of person to be it like this. Or they say, things have happened in my life beyond my control. And now look where I am. It's hopeless. Or they say, there doesn't seem to be a way forward from the mess I'm in. Like the Pentecost crowd, we sometimes cry out, what should I do? Sometimes really bad or sad things happen in life, which leave us in very, very hard places. But there is always a wonderful answer to what should I do? when we ask that question in the right place. Jesus came to rescue and there's always forgiveness and a way to peace and renewal that can have a positive impact on our practical situations. There's always a way forward in the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling and motivating us, giving us new perspectives on our situation and changing our thinking and our way of looking at things. His work enables anyone, anywhere, to do better, to make things better in our lives. Sometimes it means that things are still the same, But we're able to manage better because we see things from a heavenly perspective. And it's amazing how with looking to Jesus to daily rescue us, people do get incredible strength to overcome huge difficulties and adverse circumstances. And that's partly what the church is for, isn't it? So that as community, 
We can minister Christ to each other as we struggle at times with a whole variety of things. So my, my call to you today and to myself, let's allow ourselves to be challenged, maybe to repent, to turn that 180 degrees, and go in the opposite direction, and let's run into the loving and forgiving arms of Jesus. Let's be challenged to take our part in the worshipping community. Let's be challenged, like Steve has already challenged us in prayer, to share this message in a broken world that we're part of. It's not out there and we're here. We're part of it, aren't we? And let's pray that the Holy Spirit will touch us, move us, convict us, and flood us with God's love and grace and forgiveness. That's what was available for the Pentecost crowd in Jerusalem. And it's what is still available for everyone, everywhere, and in all time. Praise God. Amen.